How's it going? You bunch of Super Bowl champions. Seriously, that's it? That was fun. Again, wasn't it? Anybody get to go to parade? Parade people? Come on. Parade people? Cool, cool, cool. So now what are we going to do? Watch the XFL, right? Where do we go from here? It, it is now the season of football withdrawal. That's what happens. And of, of the many things that I tend to miss during this after football season, one is the chief commercials that happen, all right? And it's not like they completely go away. They're just the frequency of them tends to diminish when it's not the NFL season. You know what I'm talking about, like Andy Reid, right, admitting to his State Farm agent that he draws on players' faces when they fall asleep on the plane, right? Just absolutely hilarious. But probably the most significant for me is a split screen. You can cheer. It's okay. It's okay. It's this split screen look of Mahomes and Kelsey, uh, which, by the way, do you guys know that there's a Project Nick Gala tonight? Do you know that? Okay. And do you know that, that is, that's an auction for more than 250 orphans in um, five countries around the world? And did you know that tonight at the Project Nick Gala, there are actually signed items by each of these future Hall of Famers? You know that? All right, where was I? Um, Mahomes and Kelsey, they are eating something like chips and salsa. Suddenly, they run out of food. Mahomes makes a call. The doorbell rings at both of their homes, and suddenly, more food arrives from Hy-Vee. But all of that happens with a song. People, let me tell you about my best friend. He's a warm-hearted person who loves me to the end. People, let me tell you about my Yeah, so here's what happens. When that commercial comes on in our house, my, my daughter Kayla does one of these. Great. Because she knows that for the rest of the evening, she's going to hear me from different parts of our house just blaring, best friends, da 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 Because when it's here, it's, it's here. But truthfully, it's what I want to talk to you about today. When you truly experience the gift of a best friend, there is a song, a song in your heart and a song in your life. And today, I want that for you. I want that for you. And thankfully, there is so much wisdom in God's word to actually help us get there. I want to welcome you today to week two of a talk series that we are calling The Beauty of Relationships. And today, it's about the beauty of friendship. 
friendship. One of the places in Scripture that speaks repetitively about this topic is a book in the Bible called Proverbs, right? And it's a lot of individual statements today. I'm going to read a number of them to you. In fact, we're going we're to repeat them. I'll show you a verse, and we're going to come back to that verse, and we'll even come back to it again. But I just want to share several of those statements today from Proverbs that reflect just how unique friendship is. Because I don't know if we truly understand what a gift from God friendship is. Like Proverbs 17, 17, it reads like this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Here's what he's saying. Family may tend to be there when there's trouble. They should be, right? Family should be there in times of trouble because there ought to be a loyalty that is connected to family. So when trouble comes, they are there. But that, come on, we all know that same family may not actually like you. And you may not be who they typically hang out with on a weekly basis. But the point is, a friend is unique. Because this is, this is not an obligation of family. A friend is someone who voluntarily loves you. Someone who chooses to love you. We'll come back to this verse, but first let me show you another one. Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's a similar statement. It's making the, the, the point that sometimes a, a friend can, can actually operate in a way for you that, that's even better than a sibling may be. And get this, this was not written in a day where they discounted family. This was written in a culture where they thought more highly of family than we do in ours. He's not discounting family, but he's saying even knowing how powerful family can be, a friend sticks closer. And that word sticks in other places in the Old Testament is often translated cleave. To cleave. It is a, it is a commitment out of extraordinary love. There is a uniqueness to friendship in that it brings something to our lives that even family and romance and neighbors cannot necessarily bring, which is interesting. When we consider the fact that almost every culture, though, tends to put friendship sort of at the back of the relationship line. We just do. Um, think about the headlines in our culture. Is it about who's best friends with who? No. It's about who's sleeping with who. That's always the headlines, right? Think about music. Most of the songs that you know are much more about romance, significantly less number of songs that are about friendship. And it's because 
Come on, in a liberal, individualistic culture like ours, romance is most important. In a traditional, conservative culture, family would be pushed to the front as most important. In a socialistic, communitarian culture, like right, uh, civic relationships, neighbors are, are pushed to the... In, in all of that, in almost every culture, we tend to put friendship in the back seat. And in a way, it's because it's not a biological or sociological necessity. What I mean by that is without romantic love, you ain't here. Without family, you wouldn't be reared Without civic relationships, without neighbors, you wouldn't be as safe. In a busy culture like ours, all the other loves tend to push themselves on you. No matter how busy you get, there's still the responsibility of a family that must be taken care of. There's still the civic, civic networking that, that needs to happen for your job, for you to do what you need to do. But friendship, we kind of, it's in the back seat. But friendship is the only love, right, that is absolutely deliberate in that it will not push itself on you. The Proverbs say, you will not make it, though, without real friends. You won't make it. You will come to ruin. Look again at that verse 24 in Proverbs 18. Um, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I want you to notice that we're not talking about two equal groups of people. We're not talking about a group of unreliable friends and then a group of true friends. The language is very specific. There are many who are unreliable. There's just a few who are true. There will just be a true few in your life. They will not be that many. They are rare, in fact. But when you have even one, even one, this is the way Proverbs paints the picture. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Perfume Incense, right? We're, we're glad that people wear that sort of thing because it brings, right? It's not offensive, it's pleasant. And he even uses the word pleasantness in this verse. It is a word for sweetness. And it was usually associated with honey. By the way, did you know that several jars of local honey will be a part of the Project Nick Gala tonight. Did you know that? And did you know that you can be a part of that by either gathering a group of people in your home, that you can stream the event tonight, or you can actually gather in this room and bid on beautiful things like this, all right? Where was I? I keep getting off track. I won't do that anymore, but man, I hope you'll choose to be a part of tonight. But the point really is, the Proverbs say friendship is sweet. It's like honey. And then we realize that in the day in which those Proverbs were written, they did not use sugar like we use sugar. You understand that? 
We live in a day where everything can be sweetened. Literally, everything can be sweetened. That's not the way it worked in that day. There were only some foods that were naturally sweet, and those foods had to be discovered. Discovered. Today, you can make anything sweet, but not friendship. You can't make it sweet. It's something that truly is discovered because true friendship requires a foundation of what we're going to call a, it's a common affinity. It is a common love. It is this common vision that you don't create it, you discover it. Ralph Waldo Emerson one time said it this way. He said, friendship does not ask if you love me so much as do you see the same truth. We see things similar. There is a common affinity. C.S. Lewis said, a a typical friendship begins this way. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. There, There are those realizations, there is those discoveries that friendships are about something together. Does that make sense? They're about something together. The the point, therefore, friendship, it it is unique. Friendship, it is discovered. And and when you do, it is sweet. It's sweet. That's what Proverbs says. But it's not sticky. It's not icky. Friendships are different than a lot of other relationships. Like when you're in a marriage relationship, there is a part of the conversation that goes like this. Okay, let's talk about our relationship. Sticky. Friendships don't declare, let's talk about our relationship, do they? They don't do that because it's not this face-to-face picture as much as it is locked arm-in-arm, shoulder-to-shoulder, because together we see the world this way. We see a mission this way. We see together this way. Friendships are unique. They are unique Different sermon, but what would happen if the principles of friendship were learned before marriage? Man, how sweet would that make marriage? What would happen if the principles of of friendship were learned in families? That families could be that sweet. What would happen if the principles of friendship could could be learned in a community? Friendship is unique, it is voluntary, it is discovered, it is this foundation. But then what Proverbs tells us is this foundation then truly must be developed. And so in the rest of the time together, I want to give you what Proverbs gives us, some of the characteristics of a developing friendship, all right? And here's how I think this is helpful. For, for some of you, this is evaluation. Like this is going to help you evaluate and realize who are the true friends. It's going to help you realize, are you the true friend? But you can also see these characteristics like, like steps, like building blocks to where you can develop beautiful friendships You can see the friendships that God has given you become stronger. So let's dig in. I'm going to show you what Proverbs has to say. The characteristics of a developing friendship, the first word we're going to use is constancy. A constancy. 
Here's what we mean by that. Go back to 1717, Proverbs 1717. A friend loves when? All times. And a brother is born for a time of... A friend loves at all times. What does that mean? Does that mean that friends are to always be together? No, it does not. Here's how I know it does not. One of the funniest verses in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 17. I love this about Proverbs. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house. Too much of you and they'll hate you. I love that about Proverbs. It's just like, come on, man, too much of anybody, right? And it doesn't work. So does this mean, right, does love at all times mean you're always together? No, it does not. Think of it this way. It means love in all kinds of times. When is the family showing some love in this verse? In adversity. But a friend loves you, not only in the struggling times, but also in the good. A friend loves at all times. You could attach the word availability. Availability. Look at verse 24 again of Proverbs 18. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend will not let you go down. Now most people want to know you for how you benefit them. Let's just be truthful. Most people want to know you because you are useful to them. But before you get too judgmental on all of them, let's admit, we tend to do the same thing. Right? And, and we, we want people in our lives often because they are useful to us. It might be as simple as useful to have a good time. It might be useful in terms of they are a connection to somebody else that really helps, right? What I do for a living and business-wise, this man, this connection would matter and it would help me accomplish what I want to accomplish. We tend to want to know people because they're useful. But when your life crashes and it's apparent that for someone to stay with you means it's going to cost them, but they stay? That is your friend. That's your friend. I have received number of cards over this last month. Today I just wanted to read a part of one to you. Jeff, as our leader, pastor, shepherd, and friend, we want you to know that there are no expectations, only freedom. 
And he gives this list. You are free to grieve, free to mourn, free to cry, free to stumble, to doubt, to question, free to be quiet, free to stay in bed. And in the middle of the list, it says, you are free to preach or not preach. And it closes with, we want to walk with you even though we don't know how. Now here's what I realize. That preach, not preach, like that, that really, really may not hit you. But if that's what you do, like that's what I do. It's a part of what people get from me. Does that make sense? It's a part of what they get from me. And so I don't even know if they fully understand when they wrote this card, but when they said, if you preach or if you don't preach, what they were saying is, we're not with you for what you give to us. We're with you. Real friends do not make you a means to an end. They make you the means, the, the end. They make you the end. A friend says, I won't let you go down. A friend says, I'll be there even when it costs me. And I will be with you constantly. It is the characteristic of a developing friendship, a constancy. Let me give you a second one. It's also carefulness. It's carefulness. Let me just show you several Proverbs that paint this picture, and then I think it'll make sense what I'm talking about. Proverbs 26, verse 18, like a maniac. Do you know the word maniac was in Scripture? Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. What is that? He's like, here's somebody doing something that threatens you and your family, and then they're like, just kidding. Not cool, right? How about Proverbs chapter uh, 27, verse 14? If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Some of you not morning people, like, you get this, don't you? It's like somebody calls you at 3 a.m. to tell you they appreciate you. You're like, no, you don't. <laughs> if you appreciated me, then you would know I appreciate sleep, right? It's like it's crazy. One more, Proverbs 25, verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, that seems cruel, 
or like vinegar poured on a wound, also cruel, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Who would ever sing a song of joy to somebody with a heavy heart? And the answer is only somebody who is emotionally disconnected. Only somebody who's emotionally disconnected would make a joke when somebody has experienced loss. Only somebody emotionally disconnected is going to do something that endangers you and then go, just kidding. They don't know you, but friendship is full of care. Friendship won't allow me to joke when you hurt. In fact, in friendship, I can't be happy when you are sad. It's what friendship is. If so, then I'm not your friend. Right? Those of you who are parents, you get a part of this. Uh, somebody, I heard somebody say a long time ago, as a parent, you're only as happy as your least happiest child. Why is that? Because as soon as they come along, there is this automatic emotional connection that happens. Well, in friendship, people are giving you this gift of an emotional connection. But get this, they're doing it automatically. They're doing it voluntarily. They're, they're doing it because they want to. They're, they're doing it because they choose to. That is sweet. This is why, tr- quite honestly, you can't have too many absolute, true, deep, best friendships because you just can't emotionally survive. You can't. Because true friendship means when you hurt, I hurt. And you can only have so many of those in your life to where you can hurt at the level at which they hurt. True friendship has carefulness and emotional sensitivity because you choose to. Let's keep rolling. Characteristics of a developing friendship. you got constancy, you got carefulness, and you've got what we're going to call candor. Candor is about telling the truth, all right? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Those are some weird metaphors that he gives us there. Friendly wounds, enemy kisses. Like, what is that about? Well, what are are the friendly wounds here? Here's what they are. Words. But they're words that are painful but need to be heard. That's the point. They're words that if you say them to the friend, there's going to be pain involved, but you need to say them because you love. And if you're afraid to say them, you're not their friend. You're not their friend. Notice the description. He calls it hidden love. The the point is, I I think that I'm loving them by hiding the truth from them. I'm not going to say what needs to be said because I, I love them so much. I love them too much to tell them. And he's like, no, you don't. That's the way an enemy acts. It really means you love yourself too much to go through the pain. Not a friend. You can choose not to speak truth and not experience pain, but to be a friend, it involves pain. 
In Proverbs 29, verse 5, it says, those who flatter their neighbors are spreading nets for their feet. And nets is one way to translate that, but it, it also could be for us, we could think it's like a trap. It's like you're setting a trap for them to be caught in. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to make wrong decisions based on their wrong perceptions because the wrong friends would not speak the truth into their lives. And by the way, the more money you have and the more power you have, the more likely it is that people will do this to you. But look at what it says in Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Candor simply means I'm going to tell you the truth even though it's painful. Okay? Candor means I'm going to say the truth even though I know this is going to be painful. But here's the beauty of this. When there's also carefulness that we just talked about, that means I'm going to feel every bit of pain that you're going to feel. So I'm not coming at you as though I'm shooting, right, to hurt. I'm bringing this truth knowing that it's going to hurt, but because I care, I am feeling every bit of hurt that you are feeling. It's a true friend. It's a true friend. Got one more. Characteristics, developing friendships, constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel. We'll call it counsel because of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9. It says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Advice. The word advice here, it means the secrets. It means to confide. It means to be vulnerable. It means to be honest. And I think it's important to, re- to realize that when, when Proverbs talks about the counsel we give, there's two aspects to this. One aspect of counsel really can be pleasant. It's pleasant when you're encouraging to someone Right To be vulnerable enough that you can reassure them, that you can be transparent, that, that it's heartfelt, it, it's like perfume. But Proverbs also speaks of another type of counsel. Like Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Does that feel pleasant? No, when iron hits iron, it clashes. When iron hits iron, it is challenging. So here's what I want you to realize. If you've got people in your life who only give you reassuring counsel, beware. Beware. Because there really might be some emotional exploitation going on. Likewise, if you only have people whose counsel always feels like a piece of iron that just slapped you upside the head, if it's always clashing, if it's always challenging, beware. 
because you might have some emotional exploitation being played your direction. If it's only one, only the other, it might be that somebody's using you. They'll either, either use flattery all the time to get you to do what they want you to do, or they'll use a harshness all the time to get you to do what they want you to do. But when there is this balance, when there is back and forth, when there is both a reassuring and a challenging, you've got a real friend. And you may be a real friend. Constancy, carefulness, candor, and counsel is the perfect friend. Perfect friend. And I don't know about you, but I mean, when, when we read that, when we study that, if we're really honest, can we say that there's a part of this for us when we hit, it's like, anybody want that? So yeah, we long for that. We, we, we long for those friendships. We, we want more of that. And can it be that the part, part of why we long for it is because our friends are taken from us quicker than we tend to develop them? We're a pretty busy culture. How much time do we take to intentionally develop the true friendships that we have discovered could be? But what happens in our mobile society? They move away. Or we move away. Or they pass away. And suddenly we don't have all the friends that our heart needs. Hmm. But not only do we long for it, if we're really honest and we look at what the perfect friend looks like, there's a part of it that, that kind of also can be tough, kind of can be crushing because if this is what a perfect friend looks like and this is what I look like, then there might be a reason that I don't have as many true friends as I wish I had because maybe I'm not that great at this. And suddenly the questions of, am I, so am, am I transparent, right? A, am, am I willing to be consistently present? A, am I willing to be connected even when there's pain? Am I, am I willing to say the tough stuff? Am I, am I, am I willing? Y'all, how are we going to do this? Like, how does this not just become information that we go, well, this is how it should look? There is an answer. I think you can see it on the night. It's recorded in Scripture. The night right before Jesus goes to the cross. And he's telling his disciples what he's about to do. I want you to listen to part of what he tells them. John chapter 15, verse 12. It reads like this. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Friends. Now, come on, they've been following Jesus around for a while. Do they think Jesus loves them? Yeah, I believe so. 
I believe, they, I believe that they absolutely believe that Jesus loves them, but he knows that they still do not realize how far that love is about to go. So pick it up in verse 15. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Here's the picture. What is, what is Jesus, right, unpacking for them on that most remarkable night? Here's the picture. Our God, he, he is friendship in the sense of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is a perfect love for one another. I mean, we would say this, this is what perfect friendship looks like. And we, Scripture says, we are made in his image. We need friendship. He built us for that. And he built us for friendship with him. And what did we do with that? We turned away. It's called sin. a rebellion of our hearts that said, no thanks, God. And I'm asking you, what is the usual result that you have experienced in your lifetime when you turn away from a friend? What happens when you turn away from a friend? Can we agree that the usual result is that that friend also turns away from you? And yet what Jesus is unpacking on that most amazing night is what is he about to do? His response to us turning away from him is him declaring, I am the ultimate friend. I am going to stay even at the ultimate cost to myself. And Jesus says, the wounds that I'm about to take, they are wounds of love. And instead of him afflicting those wounds upon us would have been absolutely justified. Instead, he says, I'm going to take those wounds. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, and at the cross, I am going to take your sin as though it were mine, and I will pay a price for your sin. He experienced the separation in friendship that should have been my separation in friendship with God. He lost his friendship with God in a sense so that we could have friendship with God. He let us in. And it looked... Like this. Arms open. He's like, I'm going to let you in. And make the promise that I will never let you down. And even on that night, when his closest friends slept on him in the garden. He marched to a cross. If I know the truth of Jesus' love, 
This changes everything about how then I am able to love the people. Look, if Jesus loves me, if that's the foundation I have with him, then I don't have to be afraid that, come on, even if somebody else doesn't love me, guess what? I'm still loved. And then realize that for those of us who experience that kind of love, when Jesus breaks into our lives, right, all different stories, backgrounds, he breaks into our lives, then, then suddenly if you just look at those of us who are gathered here today, how unlike one another we are, right? How different uh, all the aspects of our lives may be. But come on, when our deepest affinity is Jesus, when our deepest love is Jesus, when he is the foundation of our lives, when we both love with that kind of power, how good can this friendship be? Y'all, I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in chance. I believe in a sovereign king and a matchmaker who chooses. Jesus said, I choose you. And I believe that that means he can also say that I have chosen you for one another. I wish, I wish we had a picture of this. Wait. I do. In this season of my life, I am more grateful than ever that God chose for us to be together. I'm grateful that I chose to never leave. And I'm grateful that you chose to never leave. Because in this season, you are not letting my family go down to ruin. It is the beauty of friendship. And just in case you wonder, and I don't think I qualify for such a friendship, Jeff. Just in case you think that your life has been too bad that Jesus would never let you in. I simply want to close today with reminding you of one of the most recurring titles that Jesus ever carried in his three and a half years of ministry. It went like this. The son of man came eating and drinking, and so this is what they said about him. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, sinners. The title that was repeated over and over, this Jesus, 
He's a friend of sinners. Tax collectors were given their own category. That's how much they hated tax collectors. And I'm saying to those of us who may think we have our own category, because however long in our life we have run from God, we have rebelled against God, there's no way he'll let me in. Jesus is the friend of sinners. People, let me tell you about my best friend. He's a warm-hearted person. God, who loves me to the end. God, I want to thank you for true friends. I want to thank you for the people in my life who don't just care when I can give them something that they want or need, but for people who just choose to care even when I can't. God, this is sweet. God, this is more precious than any gift that I would know. And what I'm certain of when we read the scripture is, God, this is what you want for us. This is what you want for your people. This is what you want for this body called heart of life. God, I'm asking that we might take you up on the offer, that we might take you up on this gift, that God, the friendships that are discovered in, in this, this local body, God, that you might lead us to see those developed into the most powerful pictures of what love looks like. God, I'm asking that the friendships in this body could be strengthened. I'm asking that where forgiveness needs to be granted, even today, you will call our heart to forgive and you will not let us sleep until we do. But God, this is because it's how you love. It's who you are. God, I, I pray today for anybody who perhaps has never come to know who you are as the friend of sinners. God, on this day, will you give us faith to turn to you and ask forgiveness? Will you give us faith on this day to turn to you and allow you to be king of us? That we might know your heart that loves a heart that lets us in and a heart that will not let us down. God, today, there are all kinds of things that I can imagine that you desire to do among those of us who are hearing this together. God, now as you speak, will you give us a heart to hear? Challenge us where we need to be challenged. God, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. 
we thank you. In the name of Jesus.